Hello and welcome to episode 1054 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I realize now that we have the exact same introductory words to this podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Uh, I'm Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs, talking as always with Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Hello, Ben. Hi. Yeah, I've honed those words over a thousand episodes before you got here and started Hello delivering and them welcome. yourself. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really a Darwinian process. I really cut welcome. out all Hello. the strange things that you would say at the beginning of a podcast. So yeah, we were just talking before we started recording about your boy, Keon Broxton, who is starting to hit. And if he does deliver, and you say he's been one of the best hitters in baseball since the middle of last month, which he started terribly, but your record's looking pretty good, right? Who were your guys before the season? You had Broxton, you had Paxton, you had Hanniger, you were like the low man on Gesellman, not because you hate Gesellman or anything, but just because people kept asking you if he was suddenly the best pitcher in baseball and you kept saying no. So four for four on those guys so far. I don't remember any other Jeff Sullivan preseason predictions that really stood out. I guess maybe you were higher on the A's and the Angels than most people I remember. I don't know if uh, there's anything else you were flogging particularly hard. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see on Broxton if he actually continues to hit. He still does strike out a bunch. But one thing that I, I do want to make clear, and this came up in my, my Friday chat as well, is I, I know that people love to look at other people uh, who make predictions and maybe people want to give credit or cast dispersions too, depending on how things go. But I, I would like to insist, no matter what Keon Broxton does this season, I don't think that I need or deserve any credit for that because he's, I, I didn't say I think Keon Broxton is going to be good because I see something in him. No, he I was saw already that good. he was. Yeah, right. This is and <laughs> yeah. it's, the, it's kind of the position player. Same with Paxton too. Right? Yeah, exact yeah. same thing with Paxton. With Paxton, it's mm-hmm. easier to see because no matter what his numbers might have been earlier last year, he was throwing more strikes than ever. He was missing bats and he was throwing super hard. Like James Paxton is not having a breakout. James Paxton broke out last season. So right. I think it's more a matter of if it was the start of last season, and I thought, uh, I, James Paxton, he's going to break out. That would be something because that would mm-hmm. be identifying something in Paxton that you think is going to lead to success. But yes. I think that the issue, it's not really much of an issue, I guess, but the semantics of it is with the information we have now, I don't think that people, including myself, are any better at predicting players who are going to get better. It's more mm-hmm. being quicker to identify players who have gotten better. And that's what Paxton yeah. did. I could tell from his first last year, I think in his first start in San Diego, he gave up like nine runs or something in three innings. ZRA was terrible. But even in that one start, I was like, oh, he's throwing strikes and he's throwing hard. This is very encouraging. And so that was for me, that was one start where I saw Paxton. He was throwing differently and he had some control and velocity. And I thought he's going to be good. And that's all it took with Broxton. That wasn't me going out on a limb. That was he was statistically a great defender in center field, and he was statistically hitting the ball harder, more consistently than almost anybody else. So uh, mm-hmm. now, granted, he hasn't started this year so well, but I, I would like to deflect any, no matter what Keon Broxton becomes, if he's a good player, that's not me. That's Keon Broxton and StatCast that made him good. I just had to write about him. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I always say about breakout picks. Either they're singling out players who already broke out and maybe just people didn't notice or they are making a real attempt to pick players who have not been good yet, in which case they're probably just wrong. <laughs> but, uh, or often they're just like a former top prospect who everyone thought was going to be good but hasn't been good yet. And so you kind of 
hope that maybe he will be good finally. So yeah, yeah, I don't think there's all that much value to that exercise over and above just looking at projections. It's the same with all the Hanager stuff where it's like, oh, you Fangraphs is high on Mitch Hanager. Well, Fangraphs is high on Mitch Hanager because he made a swing change and beat the crap out of the ball in AAA last season. (laughs) Right. If you could say, hey, if this guy changed his swing in this way, it'd be great. Right, exactly. Which I guess is what baseball teams do. <laughs> That's what they try to do, right? So if yeah. you can if you can look at a player and go through his like parse a player's mechanics, hitting or pitching, and say this is what the player needs to do, and I think he's going to be good if he does it, then that's great. That that shows a skill that I think a baseball team could use. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's like Eric Hosmer. You could be great if you just did this one weird thing, which was not hit everything on the ground. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it's it's just mm-hmm. picking up on things after the fact. Yeah. You want to update the thing we talked about on the email show about voiding contracts? We got an email from Matt, one of our many Matt-named listeners who had a couple counterexamples to what we were talking about. Yeah, so we were talking about voiding contracts and how it's very difficult to do. And one of the, I think the only case we could find that really, again, Googling, I didn't find it so much as somebody else found it and I found what they found, was Sean Chacon, who had his contract voided because he choked his general manager repeatedly, which seems mm-hmm. like the wrong thing to do and especially the wrong person to do it to. So uh, <laughs> 0 for 2, Sean Chacon, which I think resembles his save effectiveness <laughs> yeah. in the latter part of his career. So we got an email that reminded us, I guess, of the the case of Aaron Boone with the Yankees, who should not have been playing basketball, but did, tore his ACL, missed a year. Also, Ron Gant, who in 1994 was on a dirt bike, and he broke some stuff, and the Braves cut Ron Gant right after signing him to a $5.5 million contract. So what happened with Boone and Gant 10 years earlier, to the best of my knowledge, is that they were both playing on one-year contracts. They both got hurt during the offseason, and so because they weren't supposed to be doing what they were doing, the teams successfully, I believe, converted those guaranteed contracts into non-guaranteed contracts, which is effectively what an arbitration awarded contract is. When you have a non-guaranteed contract, then if you drop that player during spring training, then that player is entitled to only a fraction of the contract's worth. Depending on when the player is released, then the player is entitled to either 30 days termination pay or 45 days termination pay. Essentially, Boone and Gant were dropped for roughly a sixth of what their contracts were initially supposed to be worth because they violated a contract that's not exactly the same as voiding a deal. They just had the contracts converted in a way that certainly with Madison Bumgarner doesn't apply because he's signed for multiple years and also his team does not want to get rid of him because he is Madison Bumgarner and he will be fine. Mm -hmm. But there is some form of longer precedent here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I just wanted to update. Also, we talked earlier in the week about Matt Albers and Ryan Webb and their (laughs) endless pursuit of saves. And if Albers doesn't get one this week, I just don't know if it's ever going to happen because he he came so close. This week, Sean Kelly has been unavailable. He was sort of the de facto Nationals closer in the absence of other pitchers who were unavailable. And so... I think it was on Wednesday, I got a tweet, someone was saying, hey, Albers is warming up in the 8th and the Nationals have a one-run lead, and I tuned in and I was just on the edge of my seat watching this, and Jacob Turner had pitched three innings, I think three scoreless innings, and the Nationals were up by one run going into the ninth. Albers had been warming, 
Dusty Baker instead chose to bring Turner out there for a fourth inning, and Albers continued to warm. Turner got the first two outs, then he gave up a double, so the tying run was on second with two outs. A righty, I think Chris Owings, was coming up, and Albers was ready for a righty, and I thought, this is it, this is the moment, he's just going to have to come in and get one out. Nope. Dusty Baker let Turner finish the game, go four full innings, and Albers just stood there watching. And then I think it was Thursday he had another chance because he pitched a scoreless eighth. I think he entered with a three-run lead. So easy eighth, and instead of letting him come back out for the ninth, Baker went to Joe Blanton, who promptly gave up a home run and was removed in favor of any Romero. So any Romero ended up getting the save. So this is just, I don't know how to explain it. This is, these are situations where the typical pitcher just lucks into a save, whether he's the closer or not. And with Albers, it just comes up whatever other reliever is in the bullpen at that time. So I don't know what to say, but we got really close this week. Couple, couple close calls and thrills for Watchers of the Matt Albers and Ryan Webb pursuit of the all-time games finished without a save record. Do you want Albers to have a save? (laughs) I don't know. When he had a close call last year and I was watching it and describing watching it, Sam asked me how I felt while I was watching it because I always say I'm not sure (laughs) whether I want it to happen or not. And so Sam said, well, this was the moment when it could happen. So were you rooting for it or rooting against it? And I still couldn't quite tell. I think I was rooting for it in the moment. I think when I'm watching it and I'm seeing him as a human being on the mound, I'm rooting for him to do it just because I want him to succeed. When I think of it abstractly as just this quest that I enjoy following, then I kind of like that it's still out there. So when I remember that Matt Albers is a human being and has hopes and dreams, and maybe some of those hopes and dreams are saving a game at some point in his career, (laughs) then I kind of pull for him. (laughs) All right, that's all I got. Okay, so it's Friday, which means it's my topic, right? So Mm -hmm. on this podcast, let's talk about Daniel Descalso. I'm kidding. We're not going to talk about Daniel Descalso. (laughs) Aaron Judge episode. I would like to have an episode focused on Aaron Judge just by coincidence. You Mm -hmm. uh, wrote about him and Joey Gallo, which was perfect unintentional synergy uh, for this podcast. However, I would like to have an Aaron Judge episode because I think there has been there's been no bigger individual story, right? So far in the season, I don't think. There's no been no bigger individual. No, no bigger individual and <laughs> I guess it would be easy to chalk this up to maybe Yankees bias because oh, why why Aaron Judge a podcast instead of Joey Gallo podcast? Well, I can tell you it's because Aaron Judge has been a hell of a lot better than Joey Gallo has been this season. Yep. So, yeah, I think this is going to be, I would hope that it's just going to be sort of an open-ended conversation about the potential blossoming of a Major League Baseball superhero because Mm -hmm. Aaron Judge has been written about several times by everybody. He had one of the better first months for a rookie, if not just in general, ever. He ranks among the baseball league lead in pretty much every metric you could imagine. I will even throw out that right now, and this will get into the conversation a little later, right now among all qualified outfielders, he's even second among players in defensive runs saved behind only Kevin Kiermeyer, ahead of Jason Hayward, <laughs> Alex Gordon, and weirdly Nori Aoki. So I don't know what's going on there. Small <laughs> sample sizes in any case. All but right. Nori. Aaron Judge. Let's talk about Aaron Judge. Why don't you... Uh, 
while we're here, why don't you just kind of quickly go over the article that you wrote, except skip the sure. yellow parts. <laughs> yeah, as we were talking, Trout and Judge are tied for the Major League lead with 2.2 war, according to Fangraphs. Yeah, so I was writing about the two in tandem because their stories are somewhat similar in that they are large human beings who have incredible power and in the past struck out too much to unleash that power and this year have not. So Travis Sachek has written about him a couple times, talked to him in spring training, got judges' thoughts on what he was going to do differently. And I should say that judges' strikeout problems have always been less acute than Gallows and are still less acute than Gallows. Like Judge struck out close to half of the time in his 95 plate appearance debut in the big leagues last year. But if you look at his minor league strikeout rates, they're like in the 20s, maybe in the mid to high 20s. Like not great, but for a guy who hits with his power, perfectly acceptable. And that's been what he is this season too. So sounded from what Travis said that he made some mechanical changes designed to have his bat spend more time in the strike zone, make more contact, also studied other big hitters and watched video of guys like Chris Bryant and Giancarlo Stanton and made some unspecified mechanical adjustments based on that. So if you look at both of those guys, but particularly judge, they are on track and of course it's very early and this will probably change but they're on track for what would be a couple of the largest single season improvements in contact rate that we have seen in the pitch fx slash stat cast era they have dramatically cut down on their contact in judge's case he is swinging much more selectively he's just not swinging at balls outside the strike zone the way he was before in Gallo's case, he still is. In both of their cases, they are making much more contact on balls in the strike zone. And with these guys, that's kind of all they needed to do because obviously the strength and the power was not an issue. The only issue was that they didn't get to apply that power enough because when they swung, they missed. So now they are not missing. And they're awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I kind of wrote about them in the context of the sky-high home run rate, which we are all fascinated by, and we're, if anything, on track for an even huger home run year than we were last year. And so home runs are everywhere. Marwin Gonzalez is hitting home runs every day. And home runs, I've seen the sentiment expressed that home runs are getting kind of boring, that it's sort of overkill, that it just doesn't feel like as much of an accomplishment or an achievement when someone hits a ball over the fence. But when Gallo and Judge do it, it is still appointment viewing. These are highlights you have to watch. These are guys you want to tune in to see because they hit the ball so incredibly far. And it's they're such huge humans that they're just fun to watch. It's the spectacle of sheer raw power that you are not getting from Marwin Gonzalez. So these guys are keeping home runs fun, even though they've become more common. Yeah, and uh, just so people understand, uh, Joey Gallo, of course, very, very strong. He has struck out 38% of the time this season, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Aaron Judge is all the way down to 26%. Look yeah. at that through any other more, I don't know, detailed metric and all the numbers hold up. Judge is, mm -hmm. as you said, swinging more selectively, swinging through the ball a lot less often. So Gallo looks better, 
Judge looks like he is an MVP candidate, if not the yeah. best player in baseball right yep. now. So, and if you look at the exit speed numbers, they are what you'd think they are. If you look at just the percentage of balls above 95 miles per hour that these guys have hit, no one has hit a higher percentage of their batted balls that fast or faster than Judge and Gallo in the StatCast era. And if you go to like the extreme elite level of 110 miles per hour, Stanton is still the king, but just barely over Judge. And then Gallo is third, but by a long way. So really Stanton and Judge are complete outliers in their ability to hit the ball extremely, extremely hard as opposed to very hard on a consistent (laughs) basis. Statcast helping us better define <laughs> our terms. There is there are obvious, I guess, Miguel Sano parallels to be drawn here because Sano mm-hmm. also shines when you look at Statcast, but Sano has seemingly maybe a greater contact problem than Judge does, which is an absurd thing to say, but it mm-hmm. is where we are. Sano has bigger defensive problems and Sano has bigger potential work ethic, I don't know, motivation problems that have been whispered about in the past. Mm. And with Judge, it's interesting, kind of similar to Gary Sanchez, who used to be the big thing on the Yankees, but oh my God, look at where we (laughs) are now. They both came to the majors and have exceeded their minor league power numbers, which is one of those things that you or anyone would have looked at to say they're just hitting the ball for more power than they should. But I mean, mm-hmm. in this day and age, with the stackhouse information we have, especially with Judge, it is not an exaggeration to compare his raw power or game power to Giancarlo Stanton, who is more powerful yeah. than anyone. And so mm-hmm. when we have the information that we have, when you see Judge just flicking his wrists and hitting, he has the fastest home run hit in the stackhouse era. Uh, he yep. just hit it, what, the other week? 119.4 mm-hmm. miles per hour or something, which is just an absurdity. I looked at it. I watched the highlight. It looked like a gapper off the bat, and then it just never came down until it eventually (laughs) did 715 feet away. Yeah, that's the thing with Stanton. You've gotten posts. I've gotten posts out of Stanton home runs where just he hits them in a different way than anyone else. So he'll hit them on trajectories or at angles where no other hitter has been strong enough to hit the ball at those angles and trajectories and still have it go over the fence. And Judge, it seems like, will be in that same class where he will just hit home runs that don't look like anyone else's. Yeah, and they just come so easy to him. It's interesting you mentioned, and I guess Travis Sochik wrote in his article about Judge watching like Chris Bryant and Giancarlo Stanton because they have two very different swings. Bryant is trying to put everything in the air, and Stanton kind of more surprisingly and less in line with the modern trends, he kind of hits the ball horizontally, and he just... He gets so little launch angle on his home runs, but it doesn't matter because he hits the balls as hard as any human could possibly do. So mm-hmm. in in a sense, Judge has kind of maybe benefited from flattening his swing plane a little bit because he hits the ball so hard. But I think it would have been really easy even a year ago. You see Judge come up. He was not good for the month and change he spent in the majors. He wasn't a disaster, but he was clearly uh, kind of behind his opponents striking out all the time and hit a couple home runs it, it was easy to look at him and think oh if this guy could just put it together like any mm-hmm. other big beefy power hitter from the minors he could be a superstar well all of a sudden we're confronted with the possibility that yeah of course it's been a month and a part of a week but he topped out in the minors with 20 home runs in a year he's already got 13 against the best competition he's <laughs> ever faced he's made yeah. these insane adjustments home runs come so easy he's so strong to what extent is it an overreaction to think we we could really be looking at the birth of a superstar of a generational player yeah i mean the things that we're talking about contact rate and exit speed those are like the first things you can look at with a hitter and say this means something and so 
in that sense, what he has done seems to be completely real. Can he keep doing it as the league adjusts? We don't know for sure. That's kind of what you're asking. So I've been getting tweets over the last couple of days. This one guy has been asking me about Trout versus Judge, of course, just because (laughs) he was talking about like if uh, Billy Epler were like a secret Yankees agent and if he offered Trout back to me as the shadow Yankees GM in exchange for Judge, would I do it or what would I have to add to that to do it? And I basically dismissed it out of hand because it's crazy. I mean, even as great as Judge has been this year, Trout has been equally good and (laughs) Trout is almost the same age. That's the thing. Like Gallo's still 23 Judge is 25 and Mm -hmm. Trout is 25. Trout is an older 25, but the difference is not that great. And, you know, Trout has been doing this for five years and Judge has been doing it for five weeks. So obviously you wouldn't do that. But if you just want to talk about their performance so far, as I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, they have been equal to this point. So how close to equal will they be going forward? I don't know. Like, obviously the... Power is totally real, and so the only question is, I guess, whether the contact is real, whether he can keep making contact as consistently as he has, and the fact that he has not only made more contact in the zone, but has also seemingly all of a sudden learned to lay off of bad pitches, which he could probably hit hard anyway because he's Aaron Judge. I mean, I think, yeah, like in the same way that we were talking about Eric Thames earlier in the season and how what he was doing seemed to be pretty real. You can say the same about Aaron Judge. And if he is this good, then he's definitely one of the most compelling and eye-catching players in baseball and potentially one of the best too. Yeah, there's clearly when people talk about numbers that stabilize fast and things like contact rate do in theory stabilize fast, but we still don't know where Aaron Judge's contact rate is going to stabilize because Mm -hmm. players are just constantly adjusting back and forth. So, you know, I don't know what his true talent, I guess, contact rate is, but I'll I'll throw out there Giancarlo Stanton, who was the easy comparison to Judge even before, has a career contact rate of 68%. That is against an average of roughly 79 or 80%. Aaron Judge this year so far is up to 72%. He's struck out a little less often than Stanton has over his career. Stanton, of course, broke in when he was like 20 years old and Judge is a half (laughs) decade older than that. Right. So even now, Stanton is only like two years older than Judge is. And I guess I'll throw out just for the hell of it that Stanton is also making a career high contact rate this season for some reason. He's also having his career worst offensive. Look, I don't know what's going on with John Carlos Stanton. It's fine. It doesn't (laughs) matter. Stanton has been a superstar. One of the things that maybe the only thing that's really held Stanton back is that he's gotten hurt so often that he hasn't been able to put together too many full seasons. And you wonder, it's only been, again, this month. I'll, I don't know how many times I have to keep repeating. It's only been a month. Mike Trout's still the best player <laughs> in the world. This will just turn into another Mike Trout appreciation episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. But Aaron Judge, it no longer seems far-fetched to think he could be Giancarlo Stanton and he could be a healthier version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we've been waiting for a long time to see what a healthy Stanton could do. And maybe we won't, but we got the next best thing, it seems like. And it's kind of incredible watching him now that Judge was not that highly rated a prospect. Like he was a top 100 guy, but not anywhere close to the top of the top 100. I think 
entering this year. Baseball America had him at 90. Baseball Prospectus had him at 63. MLB.com had him at 45. Of course, Gallo was a top 10 guy, I think a consensus top 10 guy as recently as last spring. And you wonder what the difference was. I guess judges a couple inches taller seemed even maybe less likely that he'd be able to control the strike zone and make contact often enough. But his raw power seems to be at least equal to Gallo's, if not greater. And yeah, I mean, we were just talking about the ability to predict whether someone will make an adjustment before he's actually done so or to say that he should. A lot of scouts and prospect people looked at Aaron Judge and certainly didn't see this coming. And it's happened all of a sudden. So like there evidently was a mechanical change that it was possible for Aaron Judge to make and completely corral his strikeout issues almost overnight. And I don't know that that many people saw that happening. Yeah. And as you mentioned, even in the minors, his strikeout rate was not out of control. It's just he didn't quite have the the power numbers you would have expected. But it seems like that would have been something easy for scouts to pick up on. I can't imagine that Judge is hitting the ball harder now maybe he's hitting the ball more consistently now but uh, i mm-hmm. imagine he's he's long been there's a at the top of judges fan graphs player page there is a box of scouting report okay so it turns out this is actually two years old so i don't know how useful this is but even two years ago judge was given on the 20 to 80 scouting scale he was giving a uh, very low hit tool but with a future rating of 50 Mm-hmm. future game power rating of 60 that seems like it's wrong future <laughs> raw power rating of 70 that seems like it's wrong they're both 80s <laughs> how could judge like if judge is a 70 how could <laughs> anyone possibly be an 80 what would that yeah. look like <laughs> so maybe he has taken some kind of step forward the last couple of years that has allowed him to tap into this i don't know future speed rating of 45 whatever field 50 throws 60 so he even back then he was like this guy could be a capable defensive outfielder with a good arm some speed and big power well he has exceeded his power that much is beyond clear (laughs) his Mm -hmm. uh his ability to make contact has improved and i guess maybe we can now transition a little bit into ken rosenthal wrote about judge the other day wednesday or thursday I don't remember which one. He's just adding on to the pile of people who have written about Aaron Judge. And Mm -hmm. that was an article about mostly what the Yankees saw in Judge, why they drafted him, why they believed in him. I love Ken Rosenthal's work. Great dude. Great writer. He does a good job of blending reporting and analysis. Mm -hmm. I think maybe sometimes you can be a little too hasty to have someone compared to Derek Jeter makeup, (laughs) just as it's hasty to compare Aaron Judge to Mike Trout on the field. It might be hasty to draw parallels between Judge and Jeter off the field, but whatever, Mm -hmm. I've never met Derek Jeter or Aaron Judge. Uh, (laughs) But it was an article about how the Yankees really liked Judge even before he was was drafted, how well he was able to deal with the adversity he faced last year in the majors when he struck out almost literally half the time that he he batted. He seems very receptive to making changes. He seems very level-headed. I will point out that however much the Yankees loved Judge, they still did not use him with their first draft pick in 2013. They drafted mm-hmm. Eric Jagiello. Jagiello. I don't know. Jagiello, I think. I think it's Jagiello. Well, I'll tell you what. His name is not bold on baseball reference. So for now, <laughs> I don't need to know how that's pronounced. They drafted somebody else who they ultimately traded in a non prospect trade for Araldus Chapman. You remember all that. Mm-hmm. So they still waited six more picks after Jagiello to, <laughs> to draft Aaron Judge, who they then drafted in front of Ian Clark. And so they didn't love Judge the most in that draft. So. Whenever you have a piece that's written about an overachieving major leaguer, I think you are then selective for 
positive coverage. I'm sure Jagaila was really <laughs> had a really good makeup too, because they would have interviewed him as well. In any case, it seems like it's hard to find anything written negative about Aaron Judge right now, which obviously he's done tremendous things. If I guess one had to be kind of a, a wet blanket on Aaron Judge, is it just the one obvious thing to point out, or is there is there anything else? Is it just is it just a matter of it's early and he's going to make less contact? Yeah, I guess so. It's hard to find any other flaws there. I I don't know whether you said his defensive ratings are really great, right? And yeah, apparently, I have no idea whether. I mean, did you look at his like? Statcast ones, or are you going by UZR DRS? Or I looked at the Statcast stuff briefly, but it's so early. There's not a lot that I can do with it. He hasn't mm-hmm. made so I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and explain five star, four star catches to the audience. You either know them yeah. or you don't. He hasn't made like an outstanding highlight play yet, but he also hasn't messed up any of any plays in the easiest three categories. So he's been fine. He's not you know Kevin Kiermeyer out there. Actually, he's not Keon Broxton, but he seems <laughs> like he's pretty good he also has a good arm so he's going to get Mm -hmm. some extra value there and this is silly but just splitting what he's done so far this season in half which is just dumb but i'm going to do it anyway in the first half of his one-fifth of the season that he's played he had a 173 wrc plus since then he's had a 303 wrc plus so he's gotten even better As I look at how he's been pitched early on, he saw 44% fastballs. That's very low. He was great. Since then, he's seen 55% fastballs, which is a lot higher. He's been great. Mm -hmm. So he just in terms of that adjustment, he's had no problem. In terms of swinging and missing, his rates have been exactly the same since then. Mm -hmm. So really... There are plenty of adjustments to come, but he's hit non-fastballs. He's hit fastballs. He's stayed disciplined. Nothing yet. Interesting that they're throwing him more fastballs. I guess the maybe they were trying to get him to chase early with breaking stuff out of the zone, and he wasn't doing that. And so they thought, he is big. He has a long swing. We'll just pound him with fastballs. And then he pounded them with those fastballs too. So I guess nothing has worked all that well. So yeah, I, I don't know whether his defensive numbers will end up standing out because that wasn't really his reputation coming up then again neither was hitting 13 home runs by may 5th so i don't know if he's maybe underrated as defender too but even if he's just a capable defender who hits for awesome power and plays in yankee stadium where it's easier to hit for awesome power then yeah i mean he's he's going to be a star and of course when a guy comes up at this age you expect it to mean that maybe his ceiling is a little lower than someone who comes up at 19 or 20 or 21. Could be the case, though, that he has just made this change to unlock himself the way that Batista did or J.D. Martinez did, and he's just done it earlier in his career and in his life and will be a, a star from now on. So anyway, it's, it's awesome because he had the potential to be interesting regardless just because physically he's a freak compared to other baseball players and it's been fun to watch him get photographed next to Ronald Torres who is a <laughs> tiny person comparatively speaking and uh judge just doesn't look like someone who should be playing baseball with that body and it's great that he is not only a physical marvel in that way but also in his production and yeah i mean i'm sure the yankees have seen the power 
coming. I'm sure they've been monitoring his exit speeds all the way through the minors. When I wrote about Gallo at Grantland in 2014, I got someone to send me minor league, I guess it was hit FX data Mm -hmm. at that point about exit speed. And Gallo was like the hardest hitting hitter in the minor leagues and was hitting the ball even harder than Miguel Cabrera was in the majors at that point, (laughs) which seemed pretty impressive. I haven't seen that data for Judge, but I assume it tells a, a similar story. Although, I mean, I'm sure he's hitting the ball harder now also just because whatever swing changes he has made probably has not only allowed him to put the bat on the ball more often, but put it on the ball in a more optimal way with the perfect timing and positioning and angle and all of that. So maybe he peaked at the same sort of exit speeds before, but I'm sure that even when he makes contact, he's hitting the ball harder than he ever did before. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So much of what I think, at least I write about, and what a lot of people write about is essentially boils down to, here's a player that we think is going to perform differently from how he is projected. Uh, We're trying to get ahead of the projections, either pointing out a better player or less commonly a worse player. I think we try to focus on what's good. And again, that's the topic for another podcast. But just Mm -hmm. for fun, so far this season, Aaron Judge, according to Fangraphs, has already been worth 2.2 war. The updated projections for the rest of the season project him to be worth 2.1 war, which seems Mm -hmm. funny when you look at it. (laughs) He is projected the rest of the way to be no more or less valuable than players like Carlos Santana, Chris Davis, Troy Tulowitzki, Salvador Perez, Russell Martin, Jock Peterson, hilariously Byron Buxton, and Marcel Ozuna. So I don't know. Maybe you agree with that. Those are all pretty good players, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. depending on what you think about Buxton. But mm-hmm. as I like to do, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm just going to start reading off some names. Okay. And I would like you to speak up when you think there's a player that Judge is eh, as good as. Let's go with okay. not better than as good as. Something like that. So right. I'm just going to read down this list, but not one by one. Mike Trout. Yeah. Francisco Lindor. Corey Seager, Josh Donaldson, healthy version. Yeah, yeah keep going. Christian Yelich. Yeah, I'll, I'll say there. Yelich? Okay, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll read up from there just in case. Okay. Andrew McCutcheon. Oh, that's positive. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Judge. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, the, yeah, I'll take Cabrera as at least offensively overall. Yeah. Maybe not. Okay. Oh, and look at this. Giancarlo Stanton. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Um. I mean, I guess you just based on, let me see what uh, Judge's health record is in the minors because I'm not sure if he's been very durable or I haven't heard of serious injuries, but let's just see because that's been the big thing holding Stanton back. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to check Corey Dawkins' site, Baseball Injury Consultants, and it has... For Aaron Judge, the only entries on his injury table, and Corey does have minor league injuries too, all he's got here are a PCL, that's a a knee ligament injury, last season, which cost him 24 days in the minors, and then in the majors he missed a couple weeks with an oblique strain, and that is it. So evidently prior to 2016 he had nothing in his injury history or at least nothing significant enough for Corey to include it so that's a good sign so if I had to pick one man I mean I guess I'd 
go with Judge. Okay, so that would be, you've put Judge at being worth over the rest of the year between roughly three and three and a half wins above replacement, which if mm-hmm. you combine it with what he's already done would make him something like a, a five and a half win player at the end of the season, which mm-hmm. one more time, I'd like to make absolutely clear to everybody, Mike Trout, so much better. Yeah, He's so good. <laughs> Mike Trout Appreciation <laughs> Podcast, every podcast. Yep. <laughs> Judge not on that level, although so far this season, as we've already mentioned, Judge mm-hmm. has been as good as Trout, who just missed a game with a hamstring injury. Judge yep. didn't just miss a game. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So it will be fascinating if like a month or two from now we revisit and Judge is still performing on Trout's level because, you know, he's clearly demonstrated he can do that. His batting average on balls in play is not insane. It's the fact that so many of his balls aren't in play that's insane. Mm-hmm. He can't quite keep up this level of hitting just as Marwin Gonzalez can't keep up his, but it's just it's so easy to look at judge and he can have an a bet and you think about when brian dozer goes deep brian dozer d- goes deep a lot but when he goes deep he has to do almost everything perfectly he has to maximize mm-hmm. all the dozer that he can into <laughs> every swing whereas aaron judge can miss hit any number of pitches and still hit them out of the yard and he's not even a lefty in yankee stadium which is yeah. the crazy thing because he could it could be even more flattering for him but i know that i am inclined toward hyperbole when i look at a player with so many and such impressive physical skills but the to actually see a player like this delivering on it mm-hmm. is it's a very exciting thing indeed agreed all right is that our week i think that's our week i don't have anything else to say i'll maybe we'll have another aaron judge podcast in a month i hope so until then i look forward to writing about all the adjustments <laughs> that people try to make against him <laughs> all right by the way for anyone wondering our paxton talk at the beginning of the episode came before the news that he was placed on the 10-day dl with a left forearm strain not great news however you can brighten our day by supporting the podcast on patreon by going to patreon.com effectively wild five listeners who've already done so include vince morales dan bracy and a young kevin Evan Seal and Seth Resnick. Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for editing assistance. Keep your questions and comments for me and Jeff coming via email at podcast at fangraphs.com and via the Patreon messaging system. Have a wonderful weekend. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.